Welcome to Aerospace Unplugged. I'm Adam Kress. Hello, and thank you for joining me for the Aerospace Unplugged podcast, brought to you by Honeywell Aerospace. I'm your host, Adam Kress, and this is your behind-the-scenes look into all things aerospace. Now, on this episode of Aerospace Unplugged, we'll be taking a dive into Honeywell's Bendix King product line, and we'll talk to two pilots who frequently use these products. The twist here is that we have pilots from two different generations with much different levels of experience in flying. Even so, we'll hear what they think of these avionics and how Bendex King is thinking about the future of piloting. Now let's get to our guests and see what these pilots have to say. Our first guest is a veteran pilot, Michele Perone. He's a senior sales manager here at Honeywell for the Bendix King line of products. And our second guest today will be Rafael de Azevedo. He's a young pilot still in training and also a customer marketing intern at Honeywell Aerospace. So thank you so much, guys, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. All right, let's talk piloting. So if we start with uh, Michele, let's go back to the beginning. And I love to ask everyone this on the podcast, but how did you fall in love with aviation in the first place? And what made you decide to want to fly? My passion for aviation started with five, six years old when my father took me to the airports, you know, to see landings and take off. So at that moment, uh, I thought to my father, look, uh, I want to be a pilot, I want to be astronaut, whatever, but I want to fly, that's it. So at that moment, start my passion, and uh, every time that I heard something flying, always I looked to the sky, and that's it. So at that moment, start, and until today, this is my passion. So all I, all I try to do today I try to keep close to the aviation. So I start my, my profession, I start my, 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 my life, always trying to put me, myself close to the aviation. Okay. Rafael, how about you? What made you fall in love with flight? Well, uh, yeah, this is a great answer. I grew up around aviation because my father is also a commercial pilot and has worked in this field for about 35 years now. So really having a role model at home made it very easy to choose aviation, not only as a profession, but also as a hobby and a lifestyle. So very similar to Michele, everything I do, I try to keep myself around aviation, not only in my social circle, but in my professional life as well. So yeah, that's how I fall in love with aviation. Okay. So how young were you then when uh, your dad first had you in a cockpit? Up in the air. Too young for me to even remember. My father only shares the stories about the time that he could take me to the cockpit. It was a bit, a bit before the security uh, around aviation was uh, less complicated than it is today. Mm -hmm. But I've had yeah, the, a good share of opportunities to share uh, being in the airport and sharing the work environment with my father. And it has been graced ever since day one. So, yeah. Excellent. So you are in flight school now, right? I am. Uh, uh, I've been in flight school for about two years now, and honestly, it, it exceeded every expectation I had. Uh, well, right now, I have about 140 flight hours, and I've had the opportunity to fly five different trainer aircrafts. If I had to choose one for my favorite, it would definitely be the Beechcraft Bonanza. Uh, I'm also very grateful for flight school because it opened a door for me in the corporate world uh, here at Honeywell, which also has been a great experience since day one. Okay, excellent. So, um, Michele, 
I, I, I'm assuming that flight school for you was several years ago. I won't say many, but a few at I least, right? <laughs> <laughs> so what do you yeah. remember um, from flight school now and, and, or from then, I'm sorry, and how do you think it's changed from, uh, from what Rafael is, is going through today? Yeah, uh, so I start, of course, some years ago and uh, with the you know, conventional aircrafts here in Brazil, and uh, we start with a Paulistinha. I believe that the same aircraft that uh, also Rafael started. It's a very older craft, more than me. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we start with those kind of aircrafts. Since the beginning, uh, my intention was flight to pleasure, not for commercial intentions on the beginning. And uh, the passion grow and grow and grow. And uh, I am here today. So. I converted a passion in a profession, and at the same time, I did the, the both things with a lot of pleasure. So it was great. Of course, at that time, not a lot uh, equipment on the, the aircraft, very simple way to fly, you know, charts, chronometer, compass, and things like that. And today, we are in this incredible world with this so beautiful and complete glass cockpits inside that you know uh, become easy to fly for the for the standpoint for the workload inside the aircraft okay now both of you guys correct me if i'm wrong but hail from brazil right yeah okay so michele you have a private uh pilot's license in both brazil and the u.s correct yes yes okay so what does that allow you to do why did you get both and what are the advantages to that well, the main advantage is uh, I can fly legally with the tail numbers of November and uh, the Brazilian tail numbers. So this is allow me to fly anywhere and fly in Brazil uh, in the right way. Uh, from the, the company standpoint, I can fly there uh, our on aircrafts and sometimes to show to the customers on flight our equipment. So this is allow us to, to show the real world using our products. This is fantastic. Talking about, uh, you know, uh, uh, fun, it's fantastic because sometimes, as I will mention for you, I, I flew in the past from Brazil to U.S. Uh, with an ultralight with a Brazilian tail number. And over the, the, the uh, U.S. airspace, as I have the Brazilian tail number, I need to have my Brazilian license. Got if it. I do the same thing with a November tail number, I need to have my uh, U.S. license as well. So this is the main reason for that. Okay. Uh, Brazil and, and the U.S., of course, are both huge countries with very diverse landscapes. What's the biggest difference between flying across one country and the other? Uh, I can tell you about the visual rules. In Brazil, it's a little bit complicated because you have more uh, corridors to follow. And, you know, the, the, big, the big cities have a big areas and a lot of aircrafts and helicopters flying. So it's not about the quantity, but about the control. We don't have uh, the same kind of control that we have here in the U.S. and Brazil. Okay. And, Rafael, have you flown more than in Brazil or in the States, or are you, are you training in the States? Yeah, I haven't had the opportunity to visit the States yet, so all my flight training has been done in Brazil. I've had yeah, my, my good share of opportunities to have some great views from the landscape here in Brazil, but I, I, I'm honestly very anxious to have the opportunity to fly in the U.S. Okay, do you think in the long term then, are you looking to become a commercial pilot, or what do you aspire to in your piloting? 
well, yeah, uh, definitely it's always uh, one of the options. I mean, the answer to this question has evolved ever since I joined Hanuel as a student intern. When I first started flying, the ultimate goal for me was to reach a chief pilot position either in business aviation or in commercial aviation. But in these days, I've had such a great a great experience with my internship here at Honeywell that sticking around the corporate world seems like a, a good option for my career. Okay, yeah, we have some uh, some real neat uh, men and women in our flight test organization that test all sorts of different uh, technologies that Honeywell develops on some very unique aircraft and and uh, have very very interesting careers as pilots for sure. So lots of options out there. Um, let's talk a little bit now uh, specifically about avionics and flight controls. And you guys both fly Bendix King or, or BK cockpits. So starting with uh, Michele, how would you describe how the BK avionics have improved and changed over the years? So, you know that the rules change every single day. The, we have the same airspace, but with much more uh, things flying on the on the same area so based on that uh, we need to have much more information during the flight in order to keep safe everyone right so we start with the old steam gauges on the aircraft and today we have a very nice glass cockpit with good gps and good information that coming from the avionics this is very important talking about bandex king bandex king have uh, uh, the same mindset that have Honeywell. so we are bringing from the, you know, uh, executive jets and the airline, airlines to the GA, the same mindset. This is, uh, you know, convert our flight inside the cockpit much more safe. And we have much more information with the same mindset. So during the transition, like Rafael, we started right now to fly and he will grow on the, on the coming years and the, he will receive the correct information that will keep smooth this transition from the, you know from the smaller craft to the big jets. So this is the I think that this is the big goal from Hanyo and Bendix King to bring this new avionics for this general aviation market. Okay, so Rafael, as a, as a newer pilot who's still training, what have you liked it, uh, from what you've seen in terms of the usability of the BK avionics? Well, uh, from a student pilot point of view, uh, Bendix King and Honeywell's offerings are really as intuitive as it gets. Uh, I felt that the learning curve is really smooth when you transition from legacy products such as the GNS 530 to Bendix King's AeroNav, GPS, NavCom uh, solution, or even from the, K the older KFC autopilots to the AeroCruise line. So I've had the opportunity to fly with both, and it, the transition was really easy. So that's a very good point from the usability of BK Avionics. But I would also add uh, that Bendix King also does a very good job of reducing pilot workload with their products. So since we're low experienced and the, the learning environment may sometimes be hostile for uh, low, less experienced pilots, I would say that the the reducing of pilot workloads come, comes really handy for us in the cockpit. Okay. What, what do you think, uh, I mean, how do you find the right balance? And I don't know, maybe just based on experience, this is more of a question for uh, Michele, but what's the right balance between reducing pilot workload but not reducing it so much that they become passive? Yeah, you are, it's a good question because reduce the workload 
uh, doesn't mean that to reduce your attention on what you need to do. So reduce your uh, this kind of uh, problem that we have inside the aircraft is to keep easy and intuitive to find the right information to keep safe your flight. So for example, if you build a flight plan in some old GPS, you need to do a lot of steps to build your flight plan. And when you have a lot of steps on that, possibly you can make more mistakes. In our system, like he said about the Aeronav 910, in a few steps, he will show to you the right paths to build your flight plan without making any error, any mistake. So this is the kind of uh, reduction, reduction of the workload that we're talking about. So keep safe, but at the same time, keep the pilot uh, focused on the what he need to do to have a, 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 a safe flight and also a quick action on the uh, with interactions between the pilot and the avionics. Okay. Rafael, as you've gone through training and we, we touch on the topic of safety here, what maybe has um, surprised you the most or, or been the most challenging going through training, trying to keep safety top of mind? I would say that I've had the opportunity to fly, like Michele was saying, my first solo in the Brazilian variant of the Piper Cub, which is called the Paulistinha. It's a very old aircraft, to be exact. It was produced in 1943, and it only features the standard six-pack analog instrumentation. So it, it's a challenge for us to keep our, our motto, right, which is aviate, navigate, and communicate. I would say that now with Bendix Kings and Honeywell offerings, uh, such as Honeywell Anthem, for example, they really increased safety and situational awareness to a level that was not seen uh, in the past. And especially with the use of features such as synthetic vision and touchscreen, I would say it's a really good time to be in aviation and things are getting much safer as, as we speak. Okay. M McKelly, how have, how have mandates changed over the years and how has that affected the piloting experience and safety overall? Uh, we have a lot of mandates on the past years, and uh, I can tell you the most important mandate that uh, I, I can highlight to you was the ADSB. And uh, the reason to talking about that is because we are changing the way to fly. As I told you minutes ago, we have much more things flying on the same airspace. So to keep everyone, uh, you know, with the safe distance and the flying correctly, they need to have much more information inside and outside of the aircraft. So inside the cockpit and for the ground and for the other aircrafts. So the ADSB was the main mandate, in my opinion, that, uh, you know, change the way to fly because in the past, the transponder only send uh, your position approximately on that uh, region, right? Today with the ADSB, uh, the transponder was converted in a computer that will pack some informations, put in a file, and send to the ground and send to the other aircrafts. With that, uh, the other aircrafts and the control will know who you are, where you are, what is the correct altitude, the direction, and other stuff that you need to know to keep everyone with a safe uh, you know, distance and fly all of us together, but with no conflicts and other stuff. This is the first tool for the feature because in the feature, uh, uh, let's talk about another 20 years, all aircrafts will be connected. And uh, 
all of us will fly with with the, the flight plan changed during the flight due with the you know the performance the pilot the the capabilities that each aircraft have on on the cockpit so i believe that about the mandates was a big transition for the past today we flew only vfr today we we fly, uh, we fly vfr ifr we we split the airspace we shared this airspace with the other you know small drones big drones UAVs, UAM, so it's uh, it's a big big quantity of aircrafts flying uh, at the same time with uh, you know more safe features inside. Mm-hmm. In terms of the the evolution of of avionics, I know Michele, you've probably seen a lot over the years. Um, Rafael, how much experience during training do you get? You had mentioned that the first solo flight was on a plane from 1943, but I imagine you're also getting trained on more modern avionics. So, um, you know, what what are some of the the differences there and the improvements, and what have you learned in um, training on different with different types of avionics? Well, yeah, uh, I'm currently starting my training on the instrument flight rules. So that that starts uh, here in Brazil with the use of a flight, tra- uh, flight simulator training. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a special device that features both analog instrumentation and eases the transition to glass cockpit. So they have both configurations available at my flight school. So I would say I haven't gone, I haven't uh, been through the, the glass cockpit transition yet for instrument flight rules, yeah. but I can definitely say that Going again to the topic of reducing pilot workload, having everything uh, set together in a, in a single PFD, in, in our case for, for glass cockpits, is definitely going to increase levels of situational awareness and is going to make, make our job easier to focus on those three things that I mentioned earlier, which is to aviate, navigate, and communicate. So I'm looking forward to my transition to glass cockpits. Okay, excellent. So... Um... Uh, Michele, I, I had heard that you've you've had some memorable flights in the past. Do you, do you have a a most memorable story you'd want to share? Oh yeah, so I believe that this is uh, is the part of my passion. So when uh, when I bought my first aircraft was a Cessna 152. I thought to myself, I want to fly international with this aircraft. And at that time, I am talking about the 90s. And uh, at that time, I, I I felt that it's not the correct aircraft to do some, you know, long flight, a cross-country flight. So I decided to fly from Brazil to United States with an ultralight aircraft across the Amazon and over the Caribbean Ocean. So... I put this in my mind. I sold my Cessna 152. I bought a, a ultralight aircraft called the FK9, and I did this flight from Brazil to US across the Amazon. So, this was my, you know, my 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 biggest challenge in my life because I can tell you, I learned really. I learned to fly in that flight because. You know, fly over the uh, fly over the cities. You have airports everywhere. Fly over the Amazon. You have a big green carpet, and nothing. So yeah. no options, no alternatives. So the pl- the planning need to be perfect, and uh, you need to to you know to take care about the very small details to do this flight. Remember that I did this flight in two thousand one. 
So uh, at that time, we have the portable GPS with 12 channels that over the Amazon, we don't have signal. So no GPS there. I flew with my charts, my compass, my chronometer, everything like, you know, old times. And I can tell you, I learned a lot at that time. Also flying over the, the, the ocean, you know, my everyone, the aircraft don't know where, where he's flying, but I know that's a problem. The <laughs> I hope, a right? Problem. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we, we, we pay attention and we make our flight plan on the same routes that we have the boats on the ocean. So if I have any problem, I can do some emergency landing close to the, 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 the boats that, okay, I have someone that can, mm-hmm. you know, rescue me or do something for me. Yeah. And uh, I, I installed in my aircraft at that time also a parachute for the aircraft because we don't have space enough to have, you know, uh, a, a boat inside the aircraft because it's an ultralight. Was it so, just you on the so, aircraft? Uh, myself and a friend of mine, so two okay. pilots. Okay. And we split the time each hour, one flight and another one navigate. And, you know, put on the charts every. Five minutes, one point there. If you have any problem, 180, come back and, you know, land safe because we don't have options over the, <laughs> over the Amazon. And it was great. I can tell you I learned a lot. Also, it's incredible. But, uh, you know, with a very light aircraft to land on the islands with crosswind, is not easy. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know that at that time. So uh, I have funny landings because the, cross, the maximum crosswind by the manual on the aircraft was 17 knots, but we have the most Icelands, we have crosswind with the 25, 28. Mm-hmm. So you need, you need to land with the, you know, almost full engine because it's so light, it's, it's a very light aircraft. So mm-hmm. what's amazing, I, I can tell you, it was incredible. I have a very good pictures in my mind that I never will forget for that. Okay. Well, Rafael, now you know what you have to live up to, right? <laughs> when, when are you doing yours? <laughs> uh, I'm doing my flight training in Sao Paulo. Uh, I mean, it's a big city to fly over, but there's a lot of options in terms of airports to to land safely in case it's needed. So yeah, Michele's standard is a big standard for me to chase after. <laughs> Very good. And, and you know like- what? And you know what, Rafael? I, I will invite you to do something different. I just moved to U.S., And I mm-hmm. need to bring my aircraft to here. I still have the same ultralight. So if you want, come with me. Let's fly again. Do the same, the same route. Count, count <laughs> me. Different. That's a big challenge. I'm up for But it. But today we will do with the Bandex King inside the cockpit. That will be great. Totally That different from my time because I did it with the charts only. Now we have a good equipment to do that. Definitely. <laughs> Excellent. So a, a couple questions here to wrap up for, for both of you guys. But... Um, and Rafael, why don't you go first, but what would you recommend to someone who wants to, to learn how to fly, whether as a career or a hobby, how do you get started? Well, okay. I'll, I'll speak more to people who are chasing aviation as a career. And I think my big recommendation would be, well, with the access to internet, to internet and information we have in this day and age, there's a lot of good information available for young and aspiring pilots to develop their career with good airmanship. So professionally, I would recommend always pushing towards self-improvement even after leaving flight school because pilots are always learning and always improving even after that initial training is done. So I see this as one of the beauties of this particular field. Okay, excellent. Michele? 
I believe that the, the same recommendations. Uh, the only one thing is never forget your principles. So you will fly everything that, you, you know, you start with a, a 43 aircraft, you know, with a 1943 aircraft, but you grow, but never forget about the safe uh, 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 recommendations. And, you know, to be a good pilot, always you need to take care about the principles, it, it, mailing about the, you know, the, 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 the rules, because uh, everything that you need to do or you will do, you have a responsibility over you and of the others. So this is the most important thing. Okay. What, what do you guys think that the, the future of general aviation looks like? Just as, as technology evolves, we get more advanced cockpits, but at the same time, um, you know, the world kind of shrinks more and more each year. Everyone gets more connected. I don't know, just general thoughts on, on what, what do you think general aviation will look like maybe in another 10 or 20 years compared to what it's like now? Uh, I believe that uh, with the urban air mobility, for sure, the, the, the way to fly will change. This is my personal opinion. Because as we have much, you know, the prices will reduce compared with the aircrafts. Uh, for the for the electric engines also, they will reduce the cost to have their craft and also to build a new aircraft. So I believe that you have much more opportunities to more people to fly, or personal flight or as a passenger. So I believe that this is will increase the quantity of the aircrafts flying. So talking about general aviation, I believe that you have much more options to fly instead we have today. So I believe that it will grow a lot, these yeah. things. And for sure, this will, this will change a lot of things, of course, not only avionics, but about the, the way to fly. Yeah, and, and Rafael, as, as we, you know, kind of embark on this dawn of urban air mobility and, and, you know, all the developments we've seen in that area, I'd have to think if you look ahead to what your career could become, it could very well for many pilots involve piloting aircraft that, that don't even exist or are in service today, but are coming down the pike. For sure, for sure. I think in terms of long haul travel, that won't change. We'll, st we'll still need the bigger aircrafts, but in terms of that short uh, distance uh, transportation, for sure, urban air mobility is gonna be a change for us in our career. There isn't any training available as we speak, but since this is so close to happening, I'm sure we're gonna see new options of training. And definitely this is one of the choices that I'd have to consider. It's really a, a beautiful field to work in. Okay, one last question for the both of you guys and we could start with Raphael. But if you had to pinpoint one thing that you would say is your absolute favorite thing about flying, what would you say it is? Well, is everything a, a good answer? Because <laughs> I would say, I would say pre-flights, the taxi takeoff, the actual cruise cross country, the landing, everything makes this field so passionate. I mean, you will talk to pilots and you will uh, when they when you talk about how they started in aviation, each time is going to be a love story. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm truly passionate about aviation. I consider myself a true aviation geek. So, my answer to that has to be everything from pre-flight to to debriefing. Okay. Well, yeah. McKelly, I, I, I think I probably know what you're going to say something similar, but I'll, yeah. I'll ask anyway. Yeah. It, it, always uh, the, the entire flight. It's, it's a passion. 
But uh, yeah, for me, something that's very unique is the, you know, the chance that you see over there a new point of view about the world. So when you are flying, you know, you have a, a privilege to see down there and the nature and everything. So this is something that, you know, don't have a price. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, excellent, guys. This was so much fun today to get to know you guys and, and just geek out about all this stuff and, and to hear your experiences and, and how far you've come and how far you both still have to go in, in, uh, in the life of, of being a pilot. So it's exciting stuff. So thank you again uh, for joining me today. I really enjoyed to get to know both of you again and your experience as pilots and, of course, with the Bendix King Avionics as well. Uh, thanks to everyone again out there listening today. We'll catch you next time on the next episode of Aerospace Unplugged.